and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me today. Happy you guys are here. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, hey, be sure you go ahead and do so. And if you haven't left a rating or a review, be sure you do that as well. We'd love to hear what you guys are thinking. Now, of course, you can follow me on social media, Instagram, Speak a Dogcast, Facebook, Speak a Dogcast, or you can always go to the website, speakadogcast.com. Excellent show lined up today. Yes, our first segment today is going to be puppy supplies. A good list to get you started on what specific supplies you need to have for your puppy to set you up for success. Then we'll have our breed of the week. And then we're going to have a segment on playtime with your dog. A lot of different run, kind of a rundown there on playtime with your dog. What's acceptable play, what's not acceptable play, how we play with our dog, how dogs can play with other dogs, and a lot of the details that go into that. Then after that, we're going to have our listener Q&A. And if you have a question for the listener Q&A, dog-related, training-related, email me. Questions at speakadogcast.com. But before we get going today, we have that trivia question. And today's question is... What kind of dog is the University of Tennessee Volunteers mascot? And I'll have that answer for you somewhere in today's episode, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's a segment on puppy supplies. And this is kind of my take on what supplies you should get for your puppy, ranging from a crate to treats to toys to all kinds of stuff. So we're just going to kind of list it, you know, run down the list, a little bit of my reasoning why. Um, You know, the first thing I do want to start with is a crate. And I've talked about it before with the puppy segments. Um, You have to crate your dog. It's it's really a good thing you need to do. It can help eliminate a lot of problems. So you need to be crating your dog. So what kind of crate? Well, you know, a little bit of this is preference, and I've, I've talked about this before as well. Uh, you know, I use the wire crates, the foldable wire crates. To me, it's almost a logistical thing. It's so much easier to have a crate that folds up, and you can easily put it away or easily take it with you on a trip. Um, you know, I, I would I would bring puppies out with me to, to go visit my family or something like that, and it's much easier just to have a fold-up crate to put in the car, pop in there with you, and take it along. You know, the plastic crates, there's nothing wrong with them, really. Uh, There isn't. There's nothing wrong with a plastic crate. But to me, I've got, I don't know how many foldable metal crates here. If they were all plastic crates, they'd be taking up so much room. Or I'd have to take them apart and, you know, stack them together every time. I mean, what a, what a pain in the neck. So uh, foldable crate, that's what I really like. They're more versatile. And of course, with these foldable crates, they also make those those little thin pad dog beds that are crate dog beds. They're designed to fit the crate perfectly. They're the right size. Uh, they're easily washable. They're thin. So I really like those. They're also not overly expensive right? (laughs) You might go through a few of them with a puppy making messes or whatnot. So those thin ones are nice. And there's not a lot of fluff and stuffing in them either, right? They just kind of have the the fluff around the edge and then the center is a little more flat. And that also will ensure that your puppy's not going to shred it necessarily. I find puppies tend to like shredding things that have stuffing inside, right? More so than when they don't. So that's why those crate beddings, the crate beds are actually really well designed. And a good addition, again, they're uh, size-wise cut for the metal crates. Now, how big should your crate be? Um, You know, I want to touch on that just for a second. Again, if you have a puppy, that crate should be just big enough for your dog to be able to stand up comfortably, 
turn around in place, lie back down, okay? Uh, the whole idea is that we're not giving them too much room for two reasons. You don't want to give them too much space to either, uh, number one, work themselves up and make themselves anxious. If a dog has room to pace back and forth and uh, get themselves a little worked up, then they're more likely to. And the second reason, of course, is housebreaking. Your dog doesn't want to have to lay in their own pee or their own poop. So if there's no space to do it in a corner and then lay somewhere else, that's helpful. So that's why you want the crate to be small enough, or rather just big enough, that there's enough space for them to just turn around and place. And that way, again, there's nowhere for them to do their business. And that way they're going to hold it. Okay, so uh, what kind of crate? It's sort of a little bit of a personal preference, but I like the metal foldable crates. There's nothing wrong with them. And of course, you can, you know, some people go, well, they're so exposed. They're so exposed. And I get that. You want to make the crate almost like a little bit of a den setting. You can just throw a towel, a blanket, anything over the top of that crate, and boom, look at that. It's just like a plastic crate, but more versatile. Um, so, yeah, my personal preference is the wire crate, but there is nothing wrong with using the plastic crates, okay? Now, the next thing, it's it's basic leash and collar. Talked about it before, going to talk about it again. You want to get yourself a six-foot nylon collar, okay? Nothing wrong with the leash collar, excuse me, a leather collar, cotton collar, whatever collar, excuse, leash, jeez. Let's try this again. You want a six-foot leash, nylon or cotton leash, right? Nothing wrong with a leather leash, but as long as it's six feet thin, you're able to handle it and manipulate it well. Uh, some people do like those cotton thicker round leashes. They feel like they can get their hands on it more and teach his own, really, teach his own on that. As long as it's a nice six foot leash, nothing crazy, no retractable leashes, guys. Get rid of them. They're terrible. Don't use them. They are a terrible training tool. I can't stress it enough. A six-foot regular leash is what you're going to want. If you have a little puppy for a collar, you want to get a regular old nylon collar. Little puppies, uh, they don't need anything excessive and more than that. Really, you can just use one of those regular collars when they're really little. And then as they get older, you graduate them to my favorite collar. What is it? It's the Martingale collar. Yeah, the Martingale collar. It's three-fourths nylon, one-fourth chain. They do make a Martingale that is all nylon. I want you to avoid that one. Don't get the all nylon Martingales. Get the Martingale that's three-fourths nylon, one-fourth chain. That chain allows a quicker um, correction, right? And more importantly than the correction itself, the release of the correction. The chain is going to release so much faster and in a more black and white way than that uh, nylon, than the cloth ones can. The cloth ones, they just don't release fast. Sometimes they really don't release at all. So I don't really like the uh, cloth martingales. They're better than using any other collar. And I'll still use a cloth martingale over anything else, really, over a regular nylon collar, over a harness, over a gentle leader, over any of those other things. I would still choose a cloth martingale collar. But nonetheless, guys, martingale collars, that's what you should be using, six-foot nylon leash or leather leash, anything like that. All good, but that's what you should be using for your puppy. Now, on to dog beds. We kind of talked about the crate dog bed, but what about a regular dog bed? What kind of dog bed should you be buying? Once again, a little bit of preference. Dog beds range from $20 through like $300, right? It's crazy. You can buy all, you can buy a Tempur-Pedic dog bed. Um, <laughs> But think about it. If you have a puppy, I really wouldn't recommend for your very first bed spending $300 on it for them because they might shred it to pieces, <laughs> okay? Think about that when you have a puppy. Don't go out and buy the most expensive thing that they're potentially going to destroy without knowing their chewing habits. And look, it's a puppy, guys. Puppies aren't perfect. Even with training, puppies are still going to act like puppies sometimes. And sometimes there's just not much you can do about that. 
So don't go buy an expensive dog bed. Uh, look, I'll, I'll give you Groupon does great deals on dog beds. You can go to those stores, uh, the big box store, Home Goods, any of those places like that, right? They'll have some good deals on dog beds. Of course, even your, even the big box pet stores, guys, they do great sales on dog beds all the time. They do like rotating sales. So if you, if you're like me and you basically live at the pet stores, <laughs> you start to notice when those things go on sale and you take advantage of it, right? Um, so. There isn't a right and a wrong dog bed, honestly, but obviously you want it to, I mean, come on, obvious stuff. You want it to be big enough for your dog to lay in it comfortably. You want it to be something that's comfortable. Let's not just give them a little mat to lie on if all you have is hard floors in your house. And you want to provide a few dog beds. I mean, really, in my house, we have, I don't know how many, they rotate all the time, but we I try to put dog beds everywhere. Now, my dogs are also allowed on my furniture, so not only am I providing a comfortable place on the floor, but they're allowed up on furniture too. Different topic for a different day as far as if dogs are allowed on furniture. I've talked about that before though. Um, but dog beds, get a lot of them. Let your dog be comfortable to lie around your house. Give them some good stuff to lay on. Okay. And again, check out those sales. There's always some great sales going on because dog beds can't be a little pricey. I get it. I get it. They do. They, they do get a little outrageous. Um, now we can talk about toys as well. What toys? I get that question a lot. What toys should I be buying for my dog? First and foremost, you need to be aware of your dog's chewing habits, okay? If you have a dog that's a big shredder and likes to eat things, and again, we're talking about puppies here, so if you have a puppy who you know, maybe again, a retriever breed, any kind of more mouthy breed, they're going to tend to be more mouthy, shredding, maybe eating the toys, be aware of that stuff. Be aware of that stuff. Let's be cautious and mindful of what toys we're buying. First and foremost, based on your dog's chewing habits, okay? There's nothing wrong with fluffy squeaker toys, but as we all know, those toys are designed to be destroyed, right? They really are. They really are. So just be aware of that, okay? Um, I like tennis balls. I love having a lot of tennis balls around the house. You want to have a lot of toys around the house. You want to have enough toys around the house scattered around so that way your dog has things to chew, has things to redirect itself on. The problem is if you don't have enough toys and enough good things and enough variety lying around, that's when they tend to go for your furniture, your shoes, those kind of things. Now, of course, it's a puppy, guys. They're, they're probably going to chew a pair of shoes at some point. Um, but, you know, the more toys you have around, the more likely they're going to want to choose something that's made for them. Okay? So I don't have a problem with squeaky toys. I personally, I like to I like to try to find those um, stuffing uh, the, the toys that don't have stuffing in them and just squeakers, I like that a little bit better. I know they're not going to get a lot of fluff. Again, when I've got puppies in the house, I, I have, I've got to be careful. We have to be cautious and make sure they're not eating a lot of that fluff. It can be really bad for them. It can clog up their systems and be dangerous stuff, guys. Um, so those toys that they actually make that don't have fluff, really good stuff right there. Okay, um, Like I said, tennis balls are great. Now, as far as chewing type toys... We want to avoid rawhides. I'm just going to say it right then and there. No rawhides, guys. They're really bad. They bleach those things. They're filled full of chemicals. I don't like them. They're hard to digest. Not a good chew toy for your dog, okay? Please avoid using rawhides. There's lots of great other alternatives. Bully sticks, antlers. Those are kind of two my two really go-tos. I like the antlers a lot. You know, they're natural. Um, they, they last a long time. Sure. Antlers are a little pricey. I get it. I know they're a little expensive, but they last a long time. So it's worth every penny and you know, you're getting 
uh, a healthier option for your dog for those chewing habits. Antlers and things like that are necessary, though. You know, I know a lot of people like to give their dog rawhides because it helps clean the teeth and things like that. That's where an antler can come in as well, guys. Those are really good. Help scrape their teeth down. Do be careful, though. When the antlers start getting chewed down a lot, they can become very sharp, okay? They don't splinter, but they can become very sharp. So you just, you want to be careful of that and make sure once it gets small, uh, you're getting rid of that toy before your dog could potentially choke on it. So just kind of keep that in mind with the antlers and any any toys like that. Um, you know, for the crate, I, I want to talk about specific toys for the crate because it's good to put your puppy in the crate and have them um, have a toy to be redirected and distracted on, right? I love the Kongs. Kong toys are great. There's nothing wrong with those. You can fill them with some cheese. I know they make the cheese for dogs, all that kind of stuff. Honestly, guys, peanut butter works really great. I've talked about this once before. I'm going to give the warning again. Xylitol. Xylitol is an artificial sweetener that is used in peanut butters, and you need to avoid it. Xylitol can be very harmful, toxic, if not even fatal for your dogs. Please be aware of this, okay? Uh, like I said, it's an artificial sweetener that they put in a lot of different things, but peanut butter is one of those things that, hey, everybody gives their dog a little, little, little thing of peanut butter as a treat, I understand. Um, so be aware of that. Now, and again, use in moderation. Peanut butter, even then. So, so, okay, sorry, getting back to the xylitol. How do we avoid xylitol and peanut butter? They make peanut butters that are natural peanut butters. Jif, Peter Pan, all those companies, all the big guys, they all make a natural peanut butter, and then they're just going to have plain old regular sugar. That'll be the in the ingredients. And with that said, please feed your dog peanut butter in moderation, okay? I'm not talking giving them like a half a jar of peanut butter and a Kong toy every time you leave your house. <laughs> not a good idea. Way too much sugar for your dog, okay? I'm talking a little bit of peanut butter inside a Kong toy, so that way they really have to work at it. Uh, you guys who don't know Kong toys, they make a wide variety of like hard rubber toys and um, hard to destroy hard to destroy toys and I like the rubber toys that they have again that you can kind of put the peanut butter inside and give them a nice distraction that's a good that's a safer uh, toy to be leaving them in the crate with now again be mindful if you're leaving your dog unattended in the crate you need to know what toys that you're going to be leaving with your dog and you need to know that they're safe toys sometimes your dog will take toys and drag them into their crate that you're unaware of so be aware of that, okay? When you're leaving, make sure you check the crate. If you're gonna be leaving them in the crate unattended, make sure you check that crate and everything that's in that crate is safe for your puppy to have, okay? Really important right there. That's something maybe you wouldn't think about, but yeah, your dog might sneak a toy in there that maybe they shouldn't be left unattended with. They hid it under the dog bed or something, and then when you leave, there could be a bad situation. So always be aware of your dog's crate, what's inside there, and that you know you're leaving them in with, with safe toys and setting them up for success, okay? Um, now, peanut butter, Kong toy, it's kind of in between a toy and a treat. So let's talk about treats, <laughs> okay? Uh, treats, there's a lot of good treats out on the market. It's, it's almost like, how can I even tell you which ones you should and shouldn't use? Because uh, there's just so many. <laughs> there's so many. But what I will say is this. You need to avoid any treats that are made in China, guys. Uh, it's just any treats not made in the USA, I'd be aware of. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with treats made in Canada, right? <laughs> no offense to our northern friends up there. Uh, none at all. Of course, that's all kosher, too. Uh, but yeah, guys, be aware. No no Chinese-made treats, all right? No, no treats made in a country that maybe... We, we may not have the best health standards when making food products or especially food products for pets. So let's make sure you're flipping that package over when you're at the pet store. You're reading the back of it. 
You know where your treats were made. You know what's going into them. A lot of these treats have soy and filler and all kinds of nasty bad stuff that maybe you don't you don't want to feed your dog a ton of at least, okay? Or maybe not at all. Not at all. So keep that in mind. Please be aware of what you're feeding your dog. Look at the back of those packages. Make sure you know where those treats are made, where they're coming from. Uh, for training treats, I've said it before, I like a company called Pet Botanics. It's my go-to treat. Um, They've got a couple different varieties, but the main training treat that I really like, there's three different flavors of them, the chicken, the bacon, and the beef. The dogs usually go crazy for the bacon ones, Uh, so they're kind of my go-to treat. They're easy digestible, low calorie, made in the USA, no filler, no soy. Uh, It's a good training treat, and the nice thing is I can take one of those three-calorie treats and I can break it into like eight pieces, so I can get eight treats out of one tiny treat. That's another thing I like to look for with training treats, guys. Training treats should be soft. They should be small. Uh, I personally don't like training treats that are too greasy, that break apart and crumble in my hand. Uh, So I I try to find a treat that is meaty, that is delicious, that's soft, they eat it, it's gone, and that I can break into a bunch of pieces. So I can give a dog a ton of treats without giving them a ton of treats, right? (laughs) Okay, so yeah, Pet Botanics, I like that brand. Good, good treat. It's a really good training treat. As far as any other treats, you know, again, to me, just kind of look at the package. You need to make the call on what you think is healthy and not healthy for your dog. But as always, treats should be given in moderation. Okay, your dog shouldn't be getting like 5,000 treats every single day. It's unnecessary and we don't need to be doing that. So always when you're giving your dog treats, do it in moderation. Now, of course, you can also give them things like milk bones, uh, greenies. Again, in moderation, guys, things that are good for cleaning the teeth. Nothing wrong with that, but always be giving treats in moderation. And of course, we want to make sure our dogs have access to plenty of water, making sure if we're giving them a lot of treats, they have some water to drink as well, okay? Now, treat pouches. I talk about the treats. Treat pouches. You guys have to have a treat pouch. And if you don't live in a house, you know, if you're not living alone and you know where you put your stuff, uh, if you've got kids and things like that, you're going to misplace a treat pouch. So you need to buy like three or four of them. Uh, (laughs) That way you'll ensure you can at least find one of them when you need it. But treat pouches are a must. I've talked about this going on walks. You need to have your treats with you. You need to be able to reinforce and strengthen desired behavior. And the treat pouch is the easiest way to ensure it's there. I don't like putting treats in the pocket. You're going to fumble. It's hard to get them out. Your hand gets stuck while trying to get a treat out of the pocket. The treat pouch allows you to get that treat out, feed your dog, be done, move on. Okay? So that treat pouch is a really important aspect of it. Now, another thing we got to talk about, cleaners. What kind of cleaners do we want to buy? Puppies are going to have accidents. You're going to need to buy some kind of carpet cleaner, uh, you know, floor cleaner, maybe even um, fabric cleaner. (laughs) And my go-to, honestly, it's the best product on the market. There's just hands down. There's no questions about it. Nature's Miracle. It's the best stuff out there, guys. It works the best. They have a wide variety of different formulas. They have formulas you can use in the washing machine. You can use on carpet. You can use on furniture. Nature's miracle works the best. Okay, here's the thing about peeing inside and peeing and poop. Your dog using uh, your house as a bathroom. If you don't get the scent out, okay, and what I mean by that is there needs to be enzymes in the chemical that actually will naturally break down the chemical composition of the urine. Because dogs' noses are way too good, they're way too strong, that the average carpet cleaner or regular cleaner is might get the scent out for your nose, you might not smell it at all, 
but your dog still can. And of course, if your dog can still smell it, they're more likely to go back and mark on it. So you have to use a quality cleaner that's going to break down that chemical composition of the urine. Nature's Miracle, it's my go-to, works the best. It's the best product on the market, guys. There's just no question about it, okay? Um, so shampoos, right? That brings us to cleaners for your dog. <laughs> How do you keep your dog clean? Well, you got to find a good shampoo. There's so many shampoos out there. There's quite a few different ones I like. So I'm not even going to try to like name a brand I like because there's really a lot of good ones. Um, I will say de-shedding shampoos. De-shedding shampoos, good stuff right there. Uh, it really helps pull a lot of the dead fur out of your dog's coat. It can really get in there and help with mats if you have a dog that's maybe got some mats. De-shedding, detangling shampoos, those are all good stuff. They really can work very well. Of course, you want to make sure you're getting a puppy shampoo when they're really young, making sure we're using a shampoo that's going to be okay for their skin. Uh, maybe it's not going to burn the eyes if it gets in there. So keep that in mind as well. But yeah, dog, you know, there's also dry shampoos. People don't um, know about the dry shampoos as much, but they kind of, one of my, uh, some of my favorite ones are like a foam, you know, you can just take the foam and kind of run it through the dog's coat and it'll kind of pull some of the dirt out. And it, of course it refreshes the coat and makes it smell a little better, um, which is always handy with the dog. So you can use dry shampoos as well. But like I said, there's a lot of great shampoos on the market. So it's kind of hard to pick and choose one of them. Uh, but again, just make sure you know the company, reputable company, they're making a quality product. Even with a shampoo, I'm going to do my research. I love my dogs. You know, I want to know, um, every product that I'm using with on them with them. Where did it come from? Is it a good product? And does, of course, does it work? Right? So keep that in mind there too. Now, one other thing you got to buy, I think that needs to be on the checklist with, uh, having a puppy, you need to get your spouse a present. <laughs> I would have a present ready to go for your spouse. And what I'm getting at here is your puppy. You probably said, Oh honey, let's get a puppy. And your spouse was like, I don't want a puppy. I'm sure that happens <laughs> someone out there one way or the other. And then what happens? The puppy choose your spouse's favorite pair of shoes. <laughs> That's where the present's going to come in handy. You can just have it ready to go and diffuse that situation a little bit, hopefully, because puppies are going to chew. Puppies are going to get in and they stay, look, they always tend to find the favorite pair of something or the favorite this or the favorite that. They're just, it's like they know. I mean, they don't, but come on, it's like they do. Um, they tend to always find the favorite item. So get a present for your spouse or significant other or whatever it might be. Uh, so you have it ready to go so you can <laughs> smooth things over. Um, but yeah, it's a good checklist. It's a good place to start right there. All those things are kind of must. It's a lot of stuff. You know, puppies are an investment, not only with time, but with money as well. There are a lot of items that go into keeping a puppy healthy and we didn't even talk about vet stuff. I mean, that should be on the checklist too. Not so much a supply, but Hey, it's another expense you have to consider. When you start adding up all these supplies, eh, it can become a lot. It really can. So make sure that you're prepared for your puppy. You've got the proper things going in to set yourself up for behavioral success, health success, and of course, making your puppy a happy dog. Next up on Speak Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's breed of the week is the Karen Terrier. Of course, these guys are a member of the Terrier group. Happy, loyal little dogs. These guys do like to be kept busy, though. Always on alert and ready for action, the Karen Terrier can make a great dog for agility, obedience, tracking, coursing, and more. 
Really, these little guys are just an all-around athlete, and any of these activities and more are a great way for them to get out their energy and help provide fulfillment. They can still be a great companion and lapdog, though, but owners must be aware that this breed can be a little hard-headed because of their intelligence and drive, so early training is a must to keep them from ruling you. Karens are, in a lot of ways, the epitome of a terrier. So if terrier qualities don't appeal to you, then maybe the Karen Terrier may not be the best dog suited for you. Generally, these are a healthy dog, and there are just a few issues that breeders should be aware of. You know, patella evaluations and cardiac exams, uh, those are some of the things that should be done ahead of time to make sure that they're breeding healthy lines. Kept healthy, though, these guys can live from 12 to 14 years. The Cairn Terrier has been around for over 200 years. Originally, all terrier breeds in Scotland were classified as Scotch Terriers. So finding the exact origin of the breed can be well, a little bit tricky. It wasn't until the late 1800s that a system was implemented to form a breed standard. Although the Terriers were grouped together, it is known that a Cairn type dog has been around since at least the 1600s. In Scotland at the time, a mound of stones grouped together was often used as a marker for a grave or a boundary, and those were called cairns. Rodents would make their homes under these mounds of rocks, and the cairn-type dogs were used to hunt the critters out. When working in a pack, these little guys could even work against foxes and other larger predators. Cairns were built to be tough little dudes with courage and a tenacity to work. Karen was first recognized by the AKC in 1913, and the breed received a lot of attention in 1939 when a Karen Terrier named Terry was chosen to play the part of one of the most famous dogs in cinema, Toto from The Wizard of Oz. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next up on Speak Dogcast, it's playtime with your dog. Yes, this segment's going to be all about the different aspects of playtime. Um, you know, maybe what kind of play, different details of play. Should we allow growling? Should we not allow growling? Is tug of war okay? All those different things I'm going to try to cover kind of top to bottom here. And really, there's actually a lot of items that go into playtime. And I've kind of touched on it a little bit previously, but today we're going to, we're going to really hone in on it. And playtime, you know, it's it's important. It obviously is an important part of the relationship with your dog. And if you go back to when dogs are puppies, and for that matter, any predator, you know, we, we, we don't really maybe think about this so much, but predators, playtime is very important for a predator. Very, very important. And the reason why is because it simulates the hunt. 
really. I mean, when you think about it, tiger cubs, when they're you know watching the nature video, nature TV shows, and you see the tiger cubs stalking each other and bending down and putting their butts in the air and then pouncing on each other, it's mimicking how they're going to hunt and survive. So really, it becomes about survival. Okay. So yeah, the play mechanism is how we practice and learn the hunt for a predator. Of course, it's also a bonding experience for their siblings, and it's a good thing to do, and it creates a good relationship, and it also can teach the animal boundaries, you know? If maybe one of the siblings in the pack, a dog, cat, whatever, uh, whether we're talking a big cat or a domesticated dog, if, if one animal in the pack does something to another one, one sibling, and that sibling doesn't like it, they're most likely going to let that other one know somehow, whether they bite them or swat at them or whatever natural behaviors that they do to each other like that. And so playtime not only helps simulate the hunt and teach them how to hunt, but can also provide boundaries, rules, discipline, acceptable behaviors and unacceptable behaviors. Okay. You know, I've talked about with puppies, when we pluck a puppy from their pack, we're actually, what we're doing is we're removing information. And what I mean by that is the puppy's siblings and the puppy's mom, they're going to give them good information about social structure, about playtime, about all these different things. And when we remove a puppy from a pack, we, we, that information disappears. And so consequently, if you as the human don't provide uh, you know, an artificial version of that information to the dog in a way that they understand, well, that's where behavioral problems come from as puppies. I see it time and time again where people get puppies and they don't put boundaries, rules, and discipline in place. It's all, oh, cute puppy, yay, happy, fun, playtime, that's it. Well, there's more to it than that. <laughs> okay, So just kind of a side note there to something to think about that you know, playtime serves as a very important aspect of a predator's life and so we need to understand that and be able to tap into that a bit okay so playtime when when is it okay to play with my dog <laughs> i mean it's not that there's necessarily this right and wrong time uh behaviorally to play with a dog there i mean there is there isn't it's not like the set thing what it is is you know i actually i i talked about it a bit um, was that last episode, two episodes ago? <laughs> Something like, hey, I, I've recorded a lot of episodes now, which is fantastic and amazing, but I'm you know, some of it starts to, oh yeah, there's not two episodes ago, three episodes ago. Anyway, um, but, but yeah, you know, playtime, if your dog, for example, with a win, right? If you, if your dog is obsessive about bringing over a toy and won't leave you alone and wants to play, 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 play. Yeah, of course. Then you know what? That's not a good time to play. That's not when we're going to play. But if your dog is being calm or brings up a toy nicely and is being uh, more passive about it, then yeah, absolutely, we can play. So it's not that there's like this limit or right and wrong way. Now, of course, as I always say, training, life, everything, it's all about balance. So yeah, I don't want to spend my entire day only playing with my puppy. It needs to, their life needs to have more than that. But you do need to be cautious about, and I, you know, I like mentioning it every now and then. You're going to hear me say it in episodes because I want to hone in on it. Uh, GDV and bloat. Okay, we've talked about it uh, previously. But if your dog has just, if you, especially if you have a large breed dog, large chest cavity dog, if they've just eaten a large meal, then maybe it's not a good time to go run in the backyard and chase after that tennis ball, right? Because then we're increasing those chances of them potentially getting GDV and bloat. And again, you guys can go listen to previous episodes about that. Um, or I had Dr. Lyle on and we, we discussed that a little further. So uh, that there there is maybe a little bit of when we should, when we shouldn't play. But again, it's not like this structured thing of you shouldn't play in the morning, but you should only play after 12 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> it's, it's nothing silly like that, right? Yeah. 
So then we move on to the how, right? When we play, now that we how we play. How, what's acceptable play for a dog? I get questions a lot, you know, I, I would say the biggest one with playtime is, am I allowed to play tug of war with my dog is the first one. That's, I think, the most common one with playtime we get. And then the second most common question with playtime um, that I get from clients is probably, am I allowed to rough house with my dog? Am I allowed to play rough with my dog? Woof. Uh, <laughs> rough. So are you allowed to play rough with your dog? Man, tough question. Do you, you know, here's the thing. Do you have control of your dog? Does your dog understand and respect the fact that it shouldn't bite you? <laughs> uh, little things like that, that if you can answer yes to them, then there's nothing wrong with a rough play. Now, what you consider rough play, what I consider rough play, probably two different things. Um, you know, some people go in there and, and really like rough house their dogs, like trying to mimic another dog. And I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, there's no reason to overdo it physically with your dog like that. There just isn't. There's just no reason. So why? Why encourage that behavior between your dog and a person? So I don't like really intense play like that with your dog, really rough, if you will, really physical, or maybe with some aggression behind. I don't like that kind of play. Because again, all you're doing is kind of reinforcing that those kind of behaviors are okay for your dog to do with a person. And that's not what you want. And I can hear it. Oh, David, he knows that I allow it, but nobody else does. Mm, okay, maybe, but I still wouldn't risk it. <laughs> we can talk, you know, like dogs most of the time, majority of the time, and it's not, it's what you allow behaviorally and what you don't. It's not about what this specific person allows behaviorally and what this specific person doesn't. It's if it gets away with it with you, then at some point, it's most likely going to try it with somebody else. There's the problem, okay? I know that probably 99% of the time, you know, the people out there who are saying this going, well, my dog knows that he's allowed to play rough with me, but not with my kids or not with my wife or not anybody who comes in that. Well, that's great, but I got news for you. At some point, he's probably going to push the boundary with somebody else just for the simple fact that he's been able to. He's going to try it because that's how behavior works, okay? So... Uh, rough play, guys. It's something to think about. Just be careful. Um, you need to have control over your dog. You need to be able to know that your dog knows those boundaries very strict. I mean, really, I, I dogs shouldn't be mouthing people with playtime. It's just not something that should be acceptable. Okay. So, no, your dog should not be mouthing you. Let's just you know, there, there we can we can put the put the foot down on that one. Your dog should not be mouthing the heck out of you while you're playing. It just shouldn't happen. You're encouraging your dog to put its mouth on you. And I, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, and it can lead to some bad stuff. So don't be doing that. Okay. That's, that's maybe on the don't side. Maybe that's on the don't side. <laughs> okay. So maybe rough play is not the best of ideas. How do we play? Well, I want you to have control over play. I've talked about it before. You can teach your dog a sit, a stay, a leave it, a drop it. Just those four commands can go such a long way for playtime to be able to maintain control for your, over your dog and actually give your dog a more enjoyable experience by giving them more to do out of it than just throwing a ball, bringing it back, throwing a ball, bringing it back, throwing a ball, bringing it back, right? So if I utilize those four, dog brings the ball to me, drop it, cool. Uh, I pick the ball up, I ask for a sit, I ask for a stay. Then I'm going to take the ball and throw it. Now you have to teach them this. This isn't just something they're going to know how to do. Uh, but I'm going to throw it and say, leave it. Okay, so I'll toss that ball and say, leave it. So he has to sit and stay and wait after I've thrown the ball, really making him work for it, right? 
then I can release them, all right, and they go run and get their ball. It just gives them a little something extra to do, and that's really good with playtime, and that's really healthy, okay? Um, if you want to take it a step further with that leave it, I used to do this a lot with my, my male golden retriever, Colby Jack. Um, you know, especially if they have a good nose or a good, you know, they're just a good retriever. I would take my, uh, my, my golden, make him face me, throw the ball so he couldn't see where the ball ends up, make him watch me while I throw it. <laughs> yeah. So he has to maintain eye contact with me and can't see where the ball is going. Then I release him and he gets to put his nose to the ground and track it and find it really cool. Uh, it was a lot of fun for him and it was really neat to see him do that. And we used to have a, we had a pretty big yard at our old house too. And so, um, I could even almost play the hot or cold game with him. <laughs> I actually taught him a word that said he was closer and getting closer and you could see him track and go back and forth and pick it up, uh, pick up the set and try. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So again, that's just kind of one extra way you can add a level to your training, level up your training, make it more fun for them, make it more challenging. The more challenging you can make playtime guys, the happier your dog's going to be. Now, it's not to say your dog can't just go sit and chew a bone and play. There's nothing wrong with that either. Um, but you can do all these little exercises in between or, or, or you know, intermittently, whatever. And again, it can just give your dog something extra to do. Now, I think more under the how column as well is, hey, we got to get to that growling thing, right? And tug of war. Do we play tug of war with our dogs? I personally don't have a problem with tug of war if it's controlled. And by controlled, I mean there's no growling, and they drop it when you say drop it, they leave it when you say leave it, okay? Pretty pretty basic stuff, but it, it takes a lot of good and consistent training to implement those things and, and get them happening on a regular basis. Being able to trust your dog enough to know you can play dog of war, and it's not going to accelerate beyond a point of control, Okay, so I don't have a problem with playing tug of war with a dog. And I know there are people that will go, oh, you should never let a bully breed play tug of war. You should never let a shepherd play tug of war. You should not. I've successfully taught all of those dogs to play tug of war and release the toy to you. Look, your dog should want to relinquish toys to you. There's the problem. If your dog doesn't want to relinquish toys to you, if your dog is possessive, if your dog has any of these issues then yeah, maybe tug of war is not the best idea for you, okay? We got to use our common sense here a little bit. Think about it. Think, think, seriously. Think clearly and think through it. Let's see. My dog doesn't like it when I take a toy from him. Should we play tug of war? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you should fix that behavior first, guys, okay? Again, please call a trainer, professional, behavior specialist. Get with somebody who knows what they're doing that can help you and keep it safe for everybody, okay? So if your dog, if you are experiencing a dog with those issues, you really need to, to get on that and fix those things, okay? So I think that's where these extremes come from of, oh, you should never play tug of war with this specific kind of dog, because for whatever reason, in somebody's experience, they played tug of war with that specific kind of dog. They had a bad experience. Something bad happened. Oh, and now it's all or nothing. See, I don't like that. I just, uh, come on. Uh, <laughs> you know, again, I've successfully played tug of war with dogs and taught them to drop it, relinquish it. And it's not a problem as long as you can maintain control. If you don't have control, then no, don't play tug of war and get that fixed. Okay. Now, onto the growling part of it. How do you get a dog to stop growling during playtime? I can hear some people out there going, what's the problem? It's a dog. Why is he not allowed to growl during playtime? Here's what I equate growling to. It's like two little kids at the playground. One kid pushes playfully, lightly. They're having fun. The other kid pushes back slightly harder, still playfully. We're still having fun. First kid pushes back now even a little bit harder. 
and the other kid pushes back harder, harder. And before you know it, we, we have a fight between the two kids. Okay. Think of it like that. To me, that's what growling is. Growling is like two kids kind of lightly playing. Hey, yeah, this is all fun. And Hey, stop pushing me. So why are you pushing me? So stop pushing so hard. That's why I don't allow growling right there because it almost always accelerates at some point. Almost always. And it's not a good idea to let your dog growl during playtime, whether it be with person, human, or with another dog. So how do we eliminate growling? It's actually pretty simple. Okay. Um, Let's say you are playing with tug of war or with a toy. All you have to do is redirect your dog's focus. That's it. Um, You know, with a puppy, the easiest way is with a puppy. Uh, Actually, I just had a little golden in here, a little golden retriever puppy, young little thing. And she was definitely growly over toys and and it was getting almost, it was accelerating a little bit. Okay. And the way I stopped it with her was we'd be playing tug of war. And of course I'm moving my arm around and playing like you would tug of war. And the second she starts growling, I stiffen up all the toys stiff and it let out a no, just a sharp no, not mean. My favorite saying guys, don't be mean, just mean it. Okay. Uh, but it's also the physical side of it. I'm also stopping playing with the dog. So now she goes, wait a second, I growled and you stopped playing with me. Well, that's no fun. Okay, a couple of those, and then she stops growling, then I tell her, wait a few seconds, and then I tell her, good girl, and we start playing again. If she starts growling, I immediately stiffen up right back to no. She stops growling, I wait a few seconds, I tell her, good girl, we start playing again. A couple of those added up over and over, and she's going to go, well, okay, I, I get this. It's no fun when he stops playing with me, and every time I growl, he stops. I'm going to stop growling. Guess what, guys? I used punishment right then and there <laughs> by literally just saying no and stopping playing with her. That's a form of punishment. Okay? If you guys haven't listened to my segment on positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and punishment, I highly recommend you go back and check out that uh, segment. Really important, really good stuff. That's kind of the foundational building block of psychology and training. So go, go, go listen to that. Go, go, go check it out. Um, but right there, guys, right there, that's punishment. That's punishment, okay? And then when I stop uh, being stiff and I start playing with her again, believe it or not, negative reinforcement. I tell her, good girl, positive reinforcement. So I'd use punishment, negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement in order to change and shape that growling behavior. Okay. Same thing. If two dogs are playing tug of war, I'm not even, you know, in the middle of it and they start growling or one starts growling, I'll just walk in and I look, I snap my finger sometimes to redirect. (laughs) Okay. And I'll go in and go, Hey, no, or just to kind of jolt them out of it for a second. And then you'll see, they'll stop playing. They'll kind of look at you like, what? (laughs) And then I go, all right, let them go back to playing. They'll go back to playing. The second they start grounding it, redirect it. Tell them no. You can also pair no with it. No problem there. Okay, you get the idea here. It's pretty simple. They growl. I redirect and tell them no, or we have to punish it, right? That's that's what that is. It's punishing the behavior because they don't get to keep playing. (laughs) Then we reinforce it once they stop growling. Really important that I tell them what I like, not only what I don't like. Okay, so... That to me is sort of the how of 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 playtime. 
Okay. There's those certain rules. You want to be able to create some structure. You want to be able to put a sit, stay, drop it, leave it with everything. Uh, be able to control that. Be able to get your dog to release and relinquish a toy to you. That's really, really important. Of course, I don't allow growling. To me, growling is just going to accelerate, tends to just build and build and build until one of one party or the other party is going to get ticked off and then we have a fight. Okay. So I don't like growling. I eliminate it altogether. Uh, it's not acceptable. Look, even at my doggy day camps when I have 11 dogs here, there's no growling happening. No growling when those dogs are playing. None. Zip. Zero. It's not allowed in this house. Okay. So you can do it. You can do it. It's really not that hard, but you have to just be consistent. And again, don't be mean, just mean it. Okay. That's kind of the how. Um, That's what acceptable play looks like. So play between two dogs. What should that look like? Okay. We already established the growling part. They're allowed to play tug of war, but I don't want them jumping all over each other constantly going for the neck you know i mean you you if you've been to a dog park or you've been to a doggy day camp facility you know what i'm talking about that really intense play where this one dog is really adamant about trying to be on top of everybody and going for the neck area and controlling and they'll go in and maybe nip and get in there and then back out quickly before anybody else can do anything to them and the, that intense play is not okay dogs should actually take turns Really, they should take turns, uh, if you will. And again, these are not my favorite words to use, but it's an easy way to kind of get it across. They should be willing to be submissive. (laughs) To me, what it really is, is submit control to the other dog. Okay, an example is my golden retriever male, and my male golden retriever, and my half lab, half great Dane. My male golden's Colby Jack, and half lab, half great Dane's Penny Lane. They play wonderfully together. They'll play a little rough, not intense, not intense, guys. They'll play a little rough. And even then, I wouldn't call it rough. Uh, It's two dogs playing. (laughs) Okay, they'll mouth each other, they'll go over the neck. But you know what's interesting is they take turns. One being on the back, on his back playing. Colby will be on his back and Penny will be on top of him. And then they'll take turns. Penny will flip over and Colby will be on top. She'll be on her back. Here's the other side of it that people aren't aware of. Humping. Humping is actually a playful behavior sometimes. Not always. Depends on the context and how and the dog and is it spayed, is it neutered, all that kind of stuff comes into play. But humping can be a healthy, playful behavior if done in balance. Colby Jack and Penny Lane from time to time will mount each other a little bit for like two seconds and that hop off and then keep playing. And they do it back and forth to each other a little, not much, not obsessively, nothing crazy. It happens once in a blue moon. Uh, but it happens a little, and it's playful. And again, it's showing each other, it's it's showing trust between the two of them. It really is, because they take turns. I walk into a lot of homes where people go, oh, that, that dog rules that dog. And I'm like, that's not okay. <laughs> that's not healthy, guys. For some reason, people think it's perfectly acceptable for one dog to be in control of all the playtime. Not really, guys. No, that's, that's that's not what it should look like. They should take turns. Is it to say they should all be 100% comfortable with every dog in the room? Not necessarily. Comfortable. Uh, Best friends. Not comfortable. They should be comfortable. They shouldn't have to be best friends. So it's not to say that they need to be like going out and being best buddies and playing with every dog they see. But it also shouldn't be this controlling thing. Okay. It shouldn't be the other direction. It shouldn't be uh, a dog attempting to control every playtime and everything going on. Right? So between dogs, playtime should be sort of an equal thing. They should take turns, being comfortable, uh, not being in control in front of one another, 
okay? That's what it should look like. There shouldn't be growling. There shouldn't be that over-intensity and craziness where one dog really wants to hop on top of all the others and grab the neck, but then run and get out of there before anybody else can play or nip it. Shouldn't be any of that, okay? It should be about balance. Playtime even should be about balance, okay? So you just kind of have to keep that in mind there that playtime shouldn't look like this crazy quote-unquote dominant, I hate that word, you know I do, um, but it shouldn't look like this 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 controlling thing where everybody, every dog is, no, it should be a nice, balanced, happy, quiet experience, okay, when dogs play in my house, I mean, yeah, there's noise, with the mouths, and <laughs> it's not completely silent, but it shouldn't be this barking obsessively, growling obsessively, none of that intense stuff. And when, uh, no, they shouldn't be drawing blood, guys. Dogs shouldn't be playing so intense that they're drawing blood. I hear that way too much. So again, it's about balance. Now, one other thing I just kind of wanted to touch on. Can big dogs and little dogs play cohesively? The answer is unequivocal, yes. Yes, they can if you teach them to. Okay, now am I telling you to go take your chihuahua to the big dog park around the corner from your house? Absolutely not. Please don't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the dogs, look, I have a chihuahua, right? I have four dogs. I have a chihuahua named Coco. I have two golden retrievers, a male named Colby Jack and a female named Violet. And then my half lab, half Great Dane, Penny Lane. Coco is, what, seven pounds. Penny Lane is about 92 pounds. Okay, they've lived together cohesively for years. I don't crate any of them. They play together. They lay together. They sleep together. They all love each other a lot. It's a, you know, as much as I can see that they love each other, as much as I can know that a pack of dogs love each other. Um, but they all get along really well and they play well together. And you can teach big dogs to play well with little dogs, but a lot of times they have to be taught how to do that. So it's not that a little dog can't succeed in a big dog environment or vice versa, okay? Um, let's, let's get these kind of stereotypes out of our heads, but it has to be done safely, it has to be done correctly, and like I said, they have to be taught how to do it. So uh, it goes back, it's not an all or nothing kind of thing. To me, dog training is never really an all or nothing kind of thing. Dependent upon the individual, dependent upon the dog, dependent upon a lot of things, the owner, uh, <laughs> on if a dog can accept something like playing with a little dog when it's big. Uh, so just kind of something else, food for thought there. To me, there's really no extremes in that it's like an all or nothing kind of thing. Well, little dogs and big dogs should never be together. Well, that's not really the case. Uh, it can be done correctly if done safely. So a lot of different things to think about with playtime that maybe you hadn't thought about, right? Uh, there needs to be structure. There needs to be rules. There needs to be boundaries. Uh, you, you really, you don't, you can't play too much, right? You can, you can play obsessively. So I guess you can't play too much. I shouldn't say that. You can play too much. <laughs> if your dog is coming up and bugging you all the time, 24 seven, never wants to leave you alone. That's not acceptable behavior, right? So we want to make sure that we find a balance between playtime like that. Also be mindful, especially for those larger chest cavity uh, dogs, big dogs. Um, we want to be mindful of GDV and bloat. So if they have been eating a lot, they just had a big meal, maybe that's not the best time to go back in the backyard and throw a tennis ball and be really active. Remember, they need to settle their stomachs down a bit. So just something to think about there. Of course, how we do playtime, like I said, those structures, rules, boundaries, really important. Teach your dog a sit, stay, drop it, leave it. It can go a long 
way for playtime and be utilized not only as a good tool for you to maintain control, but another thing for your dog to do to create more fun and more stimulation, right? Now, of course, I don't allow growling, but I do allow tug of war as long as you have it what is it? Controlled. <laughs> That's what training is always all about, guys. It's all about being able to maintain control. It's not to say you can't let your dog go play and go have a fun time and be a free dog. But when it's time to stop playing, it's time to come back to me. We need to have that control. And just those four commands can really create a lot of structure and control for your playtime for your dog. Goes a long way. Okay. So again, I, I don't want growling. No growling. We can redirect that. We can teach our dogs to stop growling during playtime, whether it be with a dog or a person. Okay. Um, but very important. Growling just tends to accelerate and make things worse, so not allowed, not acceptable. Playtime between dogs, right? We don't want anything too intense. We want it to be balanced. Dogs should be perfectly happy to take turns, one being on the back, one on top, and then flip-flop the other one on their back, the other one on top, vice versa, being able to be uh, submitting control to each other. That shows trust, that shows a healthy and balanced relationship going on there, and really every dog should be capable of that. So your dog needs to know how to create balanced play among other dogs. Of course, we don't want drawing blood, nothing crazy like that. It should not be that intense. Dogs can play a little bit rough, right? They're dogs still, but nothing too crazy, nothing out of control. Is there uh, such a thing as too much playtime? Yes, if it's obsessive. If anything's obsessive ever, guys, it's not a good thing. And of course, little dogs can cohesively play with big dogs. If it's set up in a safe way, if we've taught those big dogs how to properly play with little dogs in a healthy way, but yes, it can be done. So keep in mind, guys, there's a lot that goes into playtime, a lot of different aspects, but you always want to maintain structure, rules, boundaries, and control, and then we bring in the affection and all that good stuff after always referring back to our training and the concepts of positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and punishment. So keep all these things in mind, and playtime will be a lot healthier and happier for you and your pup. Now, any of you out there who've been listening to my show regularly, you've heard me talk about Southern Pride Gourmet Foods. Now look, this isn't an advertisement, this is a straight-up endorsement. Ken Co. over at Southern Pride Gourmet Foods, I know him very well. He's a great guy, small business owner, and more importantly, his products are amazing. Look, I love to cook personally. I really do. I love to cook. I love to be in the kitchen and I, I try to get better. And I, I like to think of myself as a decent chef. <laughs> But I love using Ken's products in the kitchen because they're just so darn good. I can't stress it enough. They're incredible. Uh, look, I, I, I know some of you go, David, dogs and, and food products, they don't really go together. And you're right, they don't. But that's just it. That's how good these things are that I needed to come on my show and give Ken a shout out for this. Give him my endorsement because of how amazing his stuff is. You got to go check it out, guys. SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. He ships nationwide wide. You heard me right. Nationwide shipping. So go check it out. He's got spice rubs that I use on my steaks now all the time. He has got amazing olive oils. He's got barbecue sauces. The uh, spicy, like spicy, spicy apple butter barbecue sauce. That stuff is good. And you can also buy his jams and jellies. I've been using them not only on like toast, but I'm putting them on my proteins like barbecue chicken. Uh, I actually, he makes a, a sweet potato butter. Oh, that was for dinner last night on my barbecue chicken. It was amazing, guys. I can't stress it enough. I'm going to say it again. SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. You got to go check it out. And of course, I have to give the endorsement of my favorite product of his. 
is beef jerky. Oh, he has a ton of different flavors. It practically melts in your mouth. It's literally, I'm not even exaggerating, it's literally the best beef jerky I have ever eaten, you know? I bought some beef jerky for my in-laws for Christmas from Ken. It's already gone, and they've already reordered. <laughs> That's how good this stuff is, guys. I'm not joking around. I'm not messing around. Ken's a small business owner, a good local guy, and that's why I'm here to give him my endorsement, and his stuff is incredible. Go check it out for yourself, southernpridegourmetfoods.com. Drop him an email. He's a great guy. You can talk to him directly. He'll make sure you get exactly what you need. Once again, southernpridegourmetfoods.com, where everything that they have is yummy for the tummy. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Eric from Hollywood, Florida. Eric asks, does my dog have GPS? I swear every time we go to the vet, he knows we're going to the vet. Well, Eric, no. <laughs> Your dog doesn't have GPS. He has DPS, dog positioning systems. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Terrible joke. Um, no, they don't have GPS. What dogs can pick up on is a pattern, okay? When I was growing up, my Shih Tzu, uh, Ashley, it's funny, my mom would actually take me to school, to middle school. She'd drive me to middle school. And the route to get to my middle school, we had to pass by my vet, her vet office, right? And it's so funny because, I mean, it's not funny, but <laughs> it's funny that my, my dog would get scared in the car. She would until we passed the vet office. Once we got past that vet office, she'd calm down and she was fine. Uh, but every single time, no matter what, she got scared. So, you know, does she know where she's going? Yes and no. Dogs are constantly taking in the world and the information uh, as information around them. Okay, so a dog is going to feel the turn in the car. That road is going to feel the same way to that dog every time. The bumps in the road, it's going to recognize and be able to pick up on those patterns. Does it know where the vet office is? Not necessarily. Uh, don't forget there's also smell, right? If you don't have the recycle on your AC set, you're pulling in smells from the outside. And I bet you anything, there's familiar scents. There are scents that are going to be there every time you pass, every time you pass that spot. So your dog is going to pick up on those patterns, whether it be scent, whether it be the, the, the feel and the motion of the car, um, or whether, yeah, to some degree, it's not that they feel time and they can experience time, but they know about how, what a, they again, they know what stimulus passes and elapses in order for them to get to that vet office. So no, they don't have GPS. <laughs> now that actually brings us to the next question, which is kind of related today. And that's why I wanted to use this question. And this next question comes from Emily from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And Emily asks, can my dog tell time? Now it's the same thing, Emily. It's kind of the same thing as the as the GPS system, DPS system going on here. Uh, it's not that a dog can tell time; it's that they pick up on subtle patterns that you may be completely unaware of, right? Um, so it's not that a dog knows how much time elapses; it's that they know the pattern you run through. Look, uh, when I pick up dogs for dog walking or doggy day camps that I do, my clients will swear that the dog knows it's Friday, it's doggy day camp day. 
Now I asked them, I go, well, are you waking up a half an hour or an hour earlier than you? Do you change something in your normal routine that your dog could pick up on? It's not that it knows you're waking up 30 minutes earlier. It's that it knows your routine and you've changed something in your routine. Your body language probably changes that day. That's what I tell my client. You know, your body language probably changes that day that I'm coming to pick up your dog. Just, just something so subtle that you are completely unaware of it. But again, your dog is constantly taking in the world around them. They're constantly constantly picking up on those subtleties, those little cues, those changes in patterns. And that's how they can quote unquote tell time or have a GPS. Uh, It's not that they have those things. It's that they're creatures of habit and they learn to pick up on those habits. They learn to read patterns even better than you can. So no, unfortunately, dogs don't know how to tell time. The answer to today's trivia question What breed of dog is the University of Tennessee Volunteers mascot? It's the Blue Tick Coonhound. Yes, Smokey the Blue Tick Coonhound is the University of Tennessee sports team's mascot. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Hey, if you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do that right now. You can always follow me on Instagram, Speak a Dogcast, Facebook, Speak a Dogcast. Visit the website, speakadogcast.com. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Walk your dog.